0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. We'll be in verses 12 through 16 this morning as we continue uh, looking at God's Word. And if you have your half sheet of paper, you can go ahead and take that out. And hopefully I'll give you something that you can write down on top of it. We're going to look at on steadfastness in God's nature. Steadfastness in God's nature. And we're going to pull back just a little bit in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Because these, these verses, they link together. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 and you get to James chapter 1 12 through 16 it's the culmination these you'll see the linking passage between these two that we need to look at so if you have your bibles open with me open it up and let's read James chapter 1 let me start in verse 2 and then we'll flip forward to verses 12 through 16. Count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Let's pray together. Lord, would you let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we want to grow in your word. We want to be nourished by your word so that we could leave this place differently than when we came in. Lord, we give you our time. We give you our ears. We give you our heart. Do with it as you please. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we want to address three central questions that you'll see on your outline this morning. Three questions that we want to answer. And the first is, how do I receive the crown of life? How do I receive the crown of life? We know that we receive the crown of life only by trusting our faith and our, our lives into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, that so we don't get the crown of life apart from trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We will not receive the crown of life if we do not trust in Jesus, so that's how we receive the crown of life. But there is a pathway that we see in this scripture in James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, and also the culmination of it in 12-16 through 16, that we need to understand and really harp on this morning. So underneath the how do I receive the crown of life, if you would Write down this pathway for me, okay? So you've got this pathway that ultimately culminates in the crown of life, and the first step of that pathway is trials of various kinds. Now, I've said this ad nauseum on multiple occasions. We've seen it as we studied the book of James over and over and over again, but we are well aware, but I'm going to say it to you one more time, that the Christian life has trials of various kinds. There are, for us, trials of various kinds that come our way. We are not immune to them. We cannot avoid them. We cannot run away from them. We can't buy our way out of them. We cannot insulate ourselves from them, and we cannot isolate ourselves from trials of various kinds. They will come our way. They have come our way and they in our future will come our way. Trials of various kinds are part of the Christian existence. They come. They will come. They're here for many of us. So trials of various kinds, if you were to look at this as a pathway that leads to ultimately the crown of life, the first step on that is that we recognize that trials of various kinds come our way and I'm going to keep talking about it as long as the word keeps talking about it. It's all throughout the pages. It's it's there. And so if we continue to see these things as, as apart from God or some different places that are not supposed to be there, trials of various kinds are part of the Christian life. They come. They're here. They're around us. They surround us. We cannot run away from them. We cannot isolate ourselves from them. We cannot get far enough away from them. So we see that trials of various kinds are producing in us. The second path on this pathway towards the crown of life is steadfastness. And you see it straight from the word. That the crown of, that these trials of various kinds produce in us steadfastness. The testing of your faith would produce steadfastness for you, endurance for you, peace in the midst of the storm for you, steadfastness. And ultimately, as you see in the text, that your steadfastness would have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. So the steadfastness would produce in you a completed work. So the trials of various kinds produce steadfastness in you, and the steadfastness as it works its way in and through you over time produces in you completeness that you continue to see in James chapter 1, 12 through 16, that this, com- this steadfastness would one day culminate in the crown of life. But one day as we've been steadfast in the midst of the storms, we've been steadfastness through the trial, that one day there is a crown of life to be won. I think it's so fascinating that in October or November of last year, as we were putting together the scripture memory for the month or, or for the year of 2023, that in 2022 in October, as I was putting these together, Romans 12:12 12, 12 would be the scripture memory for this month as we've been in James chapter one, where it is all about trials of various kinds. That we would be able to recite week after week, Romans twelve twelve rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I mean, it's almost as like God's got this thing figured out, right? It's almost as if he knows what he's doing somehow. That here we would be week after week, laboring through the book of James, seeing James write about trials of various kinds, the dispersion, persecution, all sorts of mess that we face. And all the while, we're simply saying, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, rejoice in hope. Constantly over and over and over again, as we say it from this pulpit, as you say it in your homes, as you say it in the car as you're driving, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. But steadfastness would have its full effect, being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I was thinking about the, this verse, and I've told you the story of running a half marathon, my one and only half marathon, 13.1 miles, one of the worst 13.1 mile uh, journeys I've ever been on in my entire life. Uh, I've often said I would never do that ever, ever again. It was terrible. But I think about that 13 miles and the two hours that it took to run that half marathon, I'm reminded of as I ran that half marathon an occurrence that came to me very recently. As we were up at the starting line, I had shed every bit of weight on my body, right? I'm wearing the thinnest shirt, the thinnest shorts, the smallest shoes, the, the least amount of socks. I've shed every bit of extra weight from my body so I can run this half marathon as best as I possibly can. I've trained three times for this half marathon. And I expected the weight loss of my body to really be something that would help me in the overall scheme of this half marathon. All the while, as I'm walking up to the starting line, I'm looking around me and I'm seeing men and women wearing costumes, tutus, Gumby outfits. They're wearing wigs. They've got camelbacks on. I mean, they're in no way seem to be nervous about this run that's in front of them. In fact, at one point, we got to the halfway mark and we turned around, and at one point, I remember seeing one of the guys dressed head to toe in all sorts of heavy outfit, pointing his finger, running backwards at everybody that he had just lapped. While we were running, smiling ear to ear laughing one of them I think was carrying a boom box running 13 miles joy every step of the way not a worry in the world they knew that they had this thing figured out and they were running with joy in their hearts all the while I am struggling every step hurting struggling just angry at everybody who's smiling in the midst of the storm right But as I look back at that, there's there's a reason why they were running with endurance. There's a reason why they were dressed up in a costume, smiling every way. There's a reason why they had a boombox carrying extra weight, because they could. This wasn't the first time they'd run a race before. They had spent years training. They had spent years preparing. They had spent years in the heat, running after running after running after running, preparing and preparing and preparing and preparing. So when this came, when this race came before them, there was a certain joy every step that they took, a certain assurance that they had every step of the way, a certain resoluteness during this run that gave them a grounding, that gave them a, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna make this, and in fact, we're gonna sing our way through it. And I think about brothers and sisters I know in this faith family, who have walked through tremendous trials, mature, strong believers, who have run through many a trial and many a race, who have walked through many shadow, valley of the shadow of death. I think about brothers and sisters across this faith, faith family who have walked through tremendous trial and struggle and difficulty, and the Lord has produced steadfastness in them. And as I have walked them, run their race, they don't do it with costumes on pointing the finger at other people laughing all the way but they do it with a resolute assurance a resolute endurance a resolute steadfastness that shows that they've run this race before the lord has built up steadfastness in them and built up endurance in them and they are they are ready for this race that's before them we receive the crown of life as we faithfully trust in Jesus through the various trials and storms, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we do what Romans 12, 12 tells us to do, to rejoice in hope. Not in the trial that we're in, but we rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus and what it is producing in us, that it is producing good in us, so that one day, on that last day, we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your uncertainty, well done, good and faith-filled servant. But in verses 12, you see the culmination of count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. You go back to what we talked about three weeks ago, count it all joy. How is it possible? It's not possible apart from Jesus in your life to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised. Now, the next portion of this scripture is clear. Also, on top of this, what God does in his role in the midst of it, which would bring us to the second question, does God tempt me to sin? Does God tempt me to sin? Let me give you the short answer, no. All right, let's move on to the third question. Kidding a little bit. So does God tempt me to sin? No. No. He doesn't. We see clearly, crystal clearly from the word that God does not tempt us to sin. But there is also a pathway here that we need to uncover. So, in the same way that you wrote the first pathway under your first question, let me give you a second pathway that the text is very clear on, okay? Some would call this the genealogy of death, genealogy of sin, okay? So, what you see in the text is that desire, You see that each man is tempted when his own desire, lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire then conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So first of all, there is desire. Desire then would link and bring forth sin. Desire would conceive to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So from desire to sin to death. Now, on your piece of paper, I want you to compare the two pathways. The first pathway leads to the crown of life. The second pathway leads to where? Death. You see, in the last passage, verse 16, it says, do not be deceived, my brothers. This is what James is calling out to us to say, there's a pathway that leads to life, and there's a pathway that leads to death. And so here you see, does God tempt me to sin? No, he does not tempt us to sin, but at times uses trials to strengthen our faith that simultaneously the devil will use to destroy our faith. We see that Abraham was tested by God to ultimately prove his faith and to strengthen him for the journey that was ahead. But let me take this pathway of sin and death and let me break it into practical terms for us to understand. If you see that desire would give birth to sin and sin would break forth to bring forth death, let's unpack those and put those in practical terms of application. L- let's just use hunger. It's 11.45. You know that in 15 minutes, I'm gonna wrap up. It's likely that you've not had anything to eat since breakfast this morning. And I would, I would liken to bet that you're hoping that I finish on time so that you can get to lunch, right? First time anybody says amen in the church today, right? You feel it? All right, it's okay. I'm hungry too. We're all good. Same team. All right. So there's hunger that we feel. There's nothing wrong with hunger. There's nothing illegal or immoral or sinful about having a hunger pain. But that desire for hunger, if left unchecked and in a sinful way, that desire for hunger could work its way to be gluttonous, where we can't control our appetites. We can't control the food that we intake and it could become to a point of gluttony. Maybe that's not for you. Maybe there's another one. Maybe here's a desire to take care of our family. Maybe there's a desire to make sure our family is taken care of and provided for. And maybe we're making sure that our family has all that we need and making sure that we have food on the table and our house to be provided for. Maybe a good and right desire to take care of our family. If utilized by the devil in our flesh, that right desire to take care of our family could work its way into becoming jealous and greedy and discontent with all the blessings that God has given us and could work its way over time if left unchecked into a deeply grievous place. There are all sorts of desires, both healthy and unhealthy, that the enemy will use to test, that will use to tempt, excuse me, use to tempt us to ultimately lead us not from temptation into sin and in into death. I want us to highlight this and look at Matthew chapter four for just a moment and look at Jesus. We know that Jesus was surely tempted. The word is very clear that he was tempted, but unlike you and me, Jesus did not follow his temptation into sin. You see in Matthew chapter four, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now I wanna pause for just a moment. Because I would guess that many of you have not eaten for four hours and were hungry. And here, maybe in the the largest understatement in the entire Bible, the Bible says Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And this great understatement, the Bible says he was hungry. I think that's very clear, that he would be hungry after 40 days and 40 nights being in the wilderness. It's at this point, after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness... That the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Here, at, if Jesus were to have a weak point in the midst of his hunger after 40 days of, of, of uh, fasting, this is where the tempter would then come to him and offer him an opportunity to sin. And after these three temptations, we see Luke chapter 4 says, when the devil had ended, every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time i want us to really examine that for a moment it says the devil departed from jesus until an opportune time would present itself friends our flesh can often present many an opportune time to the devil when we go through premarriage counseling at the church we have couples sit down and do an assessment of their relationship, and the husband and the wife will take it separately, and then it'll amalgamate all that data into this beautiful chart and graphs and all sorts of good things, and it breaks them down into into strength areas and growth areas. Every couple has strength areas that they have in their marriage and in their uh, pre-marriage. They have strength areas, and every couple that I've ever worked with has growth areas it's possible that right now, if you're thinking about your particular marriage, you could probably hit your partner and say, I know what our growth areas are, right? You can think about them. There's there's always growth areas like conflict resolution. That we struggle with conflict, and so sometimes the enemy will work his way through conflict into your marriage. There are times like financial, financial communication that the enemy will work its way into your marriage through financial difficulties. Maybe it's hobbies and personal styles or whatever it may be. There's these Strength areas in a couple and always growth areas in a couple. And I always pause that couple as I look and say, remind them that these strength areas will be the areas that y'all will grow and thrive and enjoy. But these growth areas in your marriage will be the areas in your marriage that the devil will work overtime to work his way into to steal, kill, and destroy. You've got to be careful, you've got to be prepared. I think about uh, several years ago, my wife and I lived in Birmingham, and our house was broken into twice as we lived there in the course of six months. In six months, our house was broken into twice, and I found out after the fact that our house had been broken into multiple times before those two instances by the people who rented before, and I believe the people who rented before them. And what would happen every time is that the robbers would come down our steep driveway, and they'd be hidden by the outcropping of growth of different bushes and plants and stuff, and The door that they would enter into had a six pane glass door and they would simply take a screwdriver, bust through that little bit of glass, reach their hand in, undo the little knob and walk in and ransack the house. Over and over again, over the course of many years, the robbers would simply drive down the driveway, bust through the glass, undo the lock and have free reign over our house to do whatever they wanted to, steal whatever they wanted to steal, sit in the couch and hang out for a little while. They could do whatever they wanted to do. Simply because of the weakest point in our house was to bust through the glass, reach in, unlock, and get right in. This is how the enemy will tempt and work. You see, each man is tempted by his own desire. He's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So then, let's move to number three then. How do I fight against sin? How do we fight? How then do we fight against sin, knowing that our flesh and our our desires, what entices us, and the tempter comes to those who are weak and those who are struggling? So, how do we then fight against this temptation? We see clearly 1 Corinthians 10 13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How do we fight sin? let me give you point number one. It's the main point. It is the massive, this is the best I got for you. Scripture. Scripture, God's word. And I know, I I know the pushback right now may be, Mark, I need something better. I need a better tactic. I need a better scheme. I need a better thing. I, I just can't use scripture. Is that all you've got to help fight sin? Is that all you've got? Can I tell you, it's the best thing that I've got. God's word is the best thing that I've got to give you to fight sin, fight your flesh, fight the desires in our soul that would rage against us for everything that is good and holy. Scripture is it. If it was good enough for Jesus to fight against Satan, it's good enough for us. But oftentimes we forsake this great sword that we've been given for all sorts of tactics and schemes that do not have the weight and the power that God's word does. I got convicted this morning of this. Tonight, as we come together and we give out our first grade Bibles, uh, you all know that tonight uh, our first graders will receive their Bibles, and there's a lot of excitement and anticipation to receive that Bible. This morning early, our son came running into our room, lunged into the bed, and he said, I get my Bible today. He was pumped. I get my Bible today. I got to church, and I was preparing to look over my notes, and I looked at this first point scripture. Friends, it cut me to my core. And my son walked into our room, smiling ear to ear, saying, I get my, word, I get my Bible today. How often do I recognize, Mark, do you... I get to lunge, wake up in the morning and say, I get to get in my word today. I get my word, I get to have God's word today. Go to bed thinking I've got the word today. I've got the strength in me today. I've got his word with me everywhere I go. Do I have that same enthusiasm and excitement to pour God's word into my soul so that I can fight Satan and the schemes in my flesh? Do we have that same resolute love of God's word? Friends, this is why I love what we do in this church to sing God's truth can I tell you, just because I stand behind this pulpit does not mean that I am immune from temptation and trial and difficulty in my own fleshy desire. I'm not immune to it. And I cannot tell you how many times this temptation would come my way that the songs that we've sung from this platform and this church on a Sunday morning begins to well up in my soul and not just be in my head, but it has to come out my mouth. There are times where you have to sing with all of your heart, sin is broken, you are stronger. There are times when you have to say, it is well with my soul, and you've got to sing it out with every core and fiber of your being because it's from the word of God. There are times when you have to say your scripture memory verse over and over and over and over again. This is why. As a first grader, they'll come and get their Bibles tonight to take them through their years in, high school, in junior high children's ministry And then when they leave to go to college, we don't give them a gift card. We don't give them an oil painting of our church. We give them a copy of the word. This is why we take time in our service to memorize scripture. This is why we have Bible fellowship classes. This is why I preach verse by verse by verse through the word of God because we desperately need it, friends. We need it. And so for Jesus to come and combat the enemy with the word, how do we feel like we need some other tactic or scheme to overcome the devil apart from the word? Yes, we take every thought captive. We do that because it's from the word. Yes, we flee sin and temptation. Why do we do that? Because it's from the word. And so today, how do we fight sin? We fight it with God's word. We saturate ourselves on it. We soak our souls in it. We sing about it, we pray about it, we read it, we digest it, we nourish ourselves on it. And if we do anything apart from it, friends, it's got to be rooted in the word to fight our flesh and the devil. So we have scripture, we have to know ourselves and we have to guard against our weaknesses and we do that by reading the word and understanding who we are and our desires and our flesh and our tendencies. We don't go alone because we see in scripture that we're not called to go alone. Our scripture memory a while back was confess your sins and he is faithful and just. And so the implication is we confess our sins both to the Lord and to one another. And then for those who may be today, maybe you have chomped into the fruit of deception and temptation. Can I tell you all across this room, there's only one who never did. There's only one who never bought into the lie of the devil. There's only one who's never tasted the fruit of temptation and sin, and it's Jesus. So all of us in this room are under the same boat. So can I tell you what we need to hear is to repent of your sins, receive the abundant grace that Jesus gives, and go forward in your faith. Repent of your sins. See, this is the difference in the pathway that leads towards destruction is when desire gives way to sin, we don't let that sin get full grown to death. We cut it off. We repent of it. We fight against it. We go the other way. We turn the other way. We chase after the tree of life, not going after the way that leads towards destruction. We repent of our sins and know that there is grace upon, grace upon, grace upon, grace for you. Can I tell you, if I could look every one of you in the eye right now, I could tell you this. You have not yet exhausted God's grace. You haven't. I don't need to know all that you've done. I don't need to know all that you've been. I don't need to know all the places that you've done and all the wrong that you've done. I don't need to know it. It doesn't matter. You have not yet exhausted God's grace. You've not yet found the end of it. And so repent of your sins, receive God's grace, and go forward as a beautiful recipient of the grace that God has given you. This morning, our link to next week will be verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. In light of what we've talked about, let's look at the bottom. Let's move from information. We've received good information today. Let's move from information to implementation. And we do that as we walk out the back doors of this church. So let's pray together for your help, for its help. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is our strength. It is our nourishment. And we recognize that trials of various kinds come our way and we need to be strengthened. We know that as trials come our way, the enemy will often use our flesh as a temptation in the midst of those things to do all sorts of things that are contrary to your will and your purpose and your plan. So we look to you, Lord, as you're our strength. You are stronger. Sin has been broken. Or we need you. So be with us now as we come to this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.